0: Okay, so we're in Hebrews, and we're in chapter 13 this week. I don't think it's this week, I think it's next week, but I just kind of realized, we've almost been doing this for two years now, we're we're approaching, was it last week? Mm -hmm. See, I get it confused, because I feel like the the second was our last week at Heritage, so then the following week I thought we started meeting, or something like that, or 16th, it was December. I don't have the greatest of memories. Point, point being, we've been doing this for two years now, and that's, that in itself is pretty amazing. And whenever that comes around, I like to make mention of it. It's kind of interesting that I was the one who preached last time around this time also. Um, I just think that it's worth being grateful for that. We talked last week about being grateful, and the fact that we've, we've made it this long is something to be grateful for. Because it's not us doing this. Obviously, we don't bring much to the table. Uh, I feel like God has brought us along here and has given us what we need to to exist. Um, That's true of us individually as Christians. It's true of us as a church. uh, And it's just, it's something that we don't need to forget. The fact that the only reason that we are here is because of what God has done. We talked about last week, um, gratefulness. And it was kind of interesting the way that this worked out. I mentioned this last week, but two weeks ago, I tried to finish out chapter 12. And and I just unintentionally just neglected <laughs> verses 28 and 29 in chapter 12. So last week, I pretty much just spent time in verses 28 and 29 in chapter 12. Um, and I talked a little bit about the beginning of 13, but we spent most of our time there. And I thought it was kind of cool the way that it worked out. It was right after Thanksgiving, and we talked about... Being grateful, and we asked the question. Kind of the focus was: What motivates us as Christians? Is it fear? Because we just talked about all these things in in chapter twelve. These kind of fearful pictures, where where the, us here in the gospel is like approaching Jesus at His throne, and it's so much more serious and so much more epic and big and and awesome than than the Jews who were standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, and and that that image and, and that that idea that we've approached that ought to it ought to evoke a fear in us. A right kind of fear that say, that that knows your that knows your place. Like you get this picture of how big God is and how small we are and, and you you see the differences and it ought to make you tremble a little bit. I thought that it was interesting though that at the end of the chapter he's not saying Because that's true, let's be motivated by this fear of knowing that God is just this consuming fire. He doesn't say that. Verse 28 in chapter 12 says, Therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So we're not not motivated out of fear. We're not motivated out of some sense of obligation. Like God said, I did this for you, you owe me. In a sense that's true, but that's not what motivates us. Gratefulness for what God has done is what ought to motivate us. And we talked about how gratefulness is not just this kind of gladness. Like it's not just being thankful. Because you can be thankful um, but not moved to action. Gratefulness is more than just sitting back and kind of taking it in and saying, gee, thanks. It's it has action that's accompanied with it. You're grateful, you're moved to do something to to in response, or sorry, in response to what has been done for you. So we want to be grateful and we want to be motivated out of that gratefulness. And I thought that it was cool that we ended up spending a whole week just pretty much talking about that idea because I feel like that, that kind of introduces a lot of the content of chapter 13. So I'm going to keep going back and talking about it um, because he says there, let's be grateful and let's offer to God acceptable worship. Well, what is acceptable worship? Do we just have to kind of interpret that as whatever we think acceptable worship is? No, because he, he outlines it. I think a lot of the content of chapter 13 is elaborating upon here is what acceptable worship is. It's not everything that acceptable worship is. It's not limited to this list of things in 13. But this is a good list of things that we ought to pay attention to when we're thinking how, how do I need to respond to the gospel? Like practically, how do I live as a Christian? Well, 13 gets into a lot of that what what your life needs to look like if you have been moved by this gospel if the fruit of the spirit is in you it's going to produce fruit and and this is kind of these are some ways that it's going to look like so it's kind of it's an interesting list to have to talk about because because it, it covers a, a broad spe- spectrum of things. So this might not be like a totally focused sermon where there's like, oh, everything, uh, everything connects. Except that all of these different kinds of actions are motivated by gratefulness. Because I was thinking, what, what do brotherly love, hospitality, compassion for the mistreated, sexual purity, and contentment all have in common? The only thing I could really think of is, like, well, they're mentioned in these verses. Uh, They're talked about in 1 through 6, which we're going to read. So let's look in Hebrews 13. We'll go verses 1 through 6. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So... One thing that did kind of stick out to me with regard to just reading these things is how against our culture that this particular list of things is. And I guess you could say that that's probably true of, you know, people who are filled with the Spirit and any culture that's not in heaven, essentially. You could say that of anybody. But this seems to specifically speak out about our kind of culture. And, and we need to realize that the gospel ought to motivate us to do things that are unnatural. These things that, that we're being told to do are supernatural. They're things that only the Holy Spirit could produce in us. Because when we look around the world, this is not what we see. Let's just go through this list and kind of discuss what each one of these means because they all look a little different. Let brotherly love continue. That idea continue is kind of like the word abide. Let it it be a presence in you that that doesn't go away. Let it be just an, an element of who you are. Like as you're living your life, this is, this is an attitude that is in you. You have love for, specifically, I think that he's talking about the church. When he says brotherly love. We've talked a couple of different times in Hebrews about how we are the sons of God. We have been adopted as sons of God and Christ calls us brothers and sisters. So we're like one big family, which is an awesome idea. And he's saying that if... If the Spirit of Christ is in you, then then this kind of abiding love for one another is going to exist in you. Now, this is interesting because we've talked about the relational aspect of being inside of churches a couple of times inside of Hebrews. A lot of it has just been related to encouragement. Like, make sure that you are going out of your way to meet together with one another, to encourage one another, to do good works so that your faith will endure. That's been kind of the flavor of of a lot of the the we and us kind of commands. has been, let's act as the church and come together and make sure that we are staying strong in the faith. This definitely has, I mean, you, you can kind of read those back into this, but this kind of has its own tone. There's not a so that here. It's not do this so that you endure. It's just a really simple sentence on its own. Let brotherly love continue. In other words, from, out of, out of a response to the gospel, if your faith is enduring, if you are in Christ, then this kind of attitude is something that is never going to leave you. You are going to have a love for the church. You are going to want to be around the church. You're going to want to encourage one another. You're going to want to help one another and, and love each other. Like a genuine kind of love for one another, that doesn't... It's not against our nature to, to love other people. It's not, it's not in our nature to love other people. We're just selfish by nature. And, and, and love costs us something. Unity inside of this church, or inside of any church, we've talked about this before, is something that doesn't just happen. It's something that has to be fought for. And, and it hurts. There's friction that happens when people get together. and and opinions get expressed, and personalities clash, and all these different things. It doesn't just happen. It's something that is, is the spirit inside of us bringing us together to accomplish these things. Jesus, in the high priestly prayer in John 17, prayed that the disciples, in other words, like the church, would be one as he and the Father are one. So you've got this eye, and that is huge. It's, it's difficult for us to comprehend the weight of that. That kind of idea that we are one, that we've been brought together in Christ, and we ought to love one another, is, is difficult. It's impossible unless we have the Holy Spirit working in us. But if we do, it ought to be something that just overflows from us. We ought to love one another. He says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. So, I'm kind of 50-50 on whether you could argue that this is still the church or not. I feel like it ought to apply to everybody, right? Because even Israel, way back when, God told them, you need to, you need to be hospitable. You need to bring in the sojourner, the stranger. You need to take care of them and, and go out of your way to, to meet their needs. And I think that that's definitely there. I think that there's also this aspect of still within the body, you need to be hospitable to one another. And as I was kind of looking into that, that concept of hospitality within, um, within the Bible, it's not just that you have your friends over on a regular basis. Now, if you're the kind of person that doesn't want to do anything, then maybe that's a first step. Like, you're gonna, okay, you're going to start inviting people into your life. And you're going to allow them to speak into your life. And you're going to speak into their life. And that, for a lot of people, is a big step. But it's not just hanging out with the people that you grow to like. It's also reaching out to the people who you have no idea who they are. The word that we translate as hospitality, that literally means love for strangers. So people who you don't know. Maybe people that... You're going to have a hard time trusting. You ought to be able to reach out to them and to love them with Christ's love, saying that, I don't know you. You could be a serial killer, (laughs) for all I know. That's my thought. Like, I'm always like the guy that's like, everybody keep your eye on this guy. guy, I don't know, I've got that kind of like, is this safe kind of mentality. Um, So... Despite any kind of reservation, you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out and I'm going to help satisfy your needs. You are in need, I can help you, and I want to, and I'm going to do that because Christ told me to. That's, I mentioned this last week because we kind of, we briefly went over these last week. That's, that's difficult, that's something that we've had to get used to, especially here. But a big part of the reason for why we're down here, why we have moved into this neighborhood is to try to live out this sort of thing. We want to be hospitable to the people who we have no idea who they are. We've got people walking downtown through here and, and we want to say, listen, we, we have something for you. We can meet your needs. Not because, not even because they asked for it or didn't ask for it, but just because we, we are filled with, with the gospel and we want to say, Listen, we, we have Christ, which is better than, than anything else. But here, come in here. Come in here, have a, have a drink, sit down, talk with us. We want to make ourselves available to be hospitable to the people that are down here. Obviously, that fits into your life individually. You ought to reach out and, and have compassion for other people, wherever it is you are. But as a church, we definitely want to embody this idea that we want to be hospitable. We want to have love for people who we have no idea who they are. Because that resembles the gospel. Christ reaching out to us, even though we were his enemies, and, and loving us and, and dying for us. We want to be able to sacrifice for people. I admit that um, that Carla is better at this. My wife is better at this than I am. Well, I'm going to give you a specific example. She shakes her head no. But, but I remember a time and the Cummins probably remember this time, um, that we're sitting in Heritage parking lot one day and it was pretty typical of us to just hang around and talk with people. And like usually the college class, like the last people to leave at, at uh, Heritage. So we, we go down to our, or maybe this is band practice or something, I don't remember. We go down and, and we're sitting in the car, we're talking for a second, getting ready to go and this, and this car pulls up, kind of an odd looking dude. Um, looks like he's living out of his car. And he pulls up and he says, when's church or something like that? Like, when, when does church meet? And we had just let out of something. Like, we were saying, uh, well, we just got out of band practice or something like that. Um, they're not going to be back for, for a while until like 6 30. He said, well, I've already told somebody else that I'm going to go to their church or something like that at this time. But I was, trying, I was looking for a place to stay because I've been in my car. I've been traveling for weeks and I just need a place to stay. And I'm like, well, good luck with that. Uh, that's kind of my attitude, because I'm thinking, well, I don't know what to say. But Carla's like, you can just come over and stay at our house. And I'm thinking, I can't, I can't sit here and say, no, no, that's a terrible idea. Uh, because I'm thinking, okay, she's motivated, you know, out of this kind of loving hospitality for this person. And I'm, I'm not, <laughs> which says something about me, but... But she said, you can just come over and stay at our house. And I'm freaking out, like, the hours leading up to him coming over, because I'm like, okay, this guy comes out of nowhere. He's driving from who knows where. He's, he's had an out-of-state tag, and, and we're just going to let him come and crash inside of our house. And, and in our house, we were in a condo at the time, and, and it had the top floor where all the bedrooms are. So I'm thinking, okay, my kid's bedroom is right next to this guy's, which is right next to ours. We're all going to be sleeping right, right here within, within, like, 15 feet of each other. And and that doesn't, or 20 feet doesn't seem like a good idea. So I'm thinking that I can't. That I don't know about this. Um, I I said you need to call up the Clements and you need to say we're coming over and spending the night because they've got a guest bedroom and and you can do that because I don't I don't trust this guy. And and I said Andy, Andy's, can you come over and why don't you bring like some? Why don't you why don't you be able to protect yourself? Like come prepared to protect yourself. We're gonna hang out with this guy because I have I have no idea what to expect. And, and he comes over to our house and we end up playing Scrabble and some other stuff. And he was kind of an awkward character. Like he didn't he didn't converse easily. So it was kind of hard to pull out and kind of get the flavor of what kind of person this was. But he claimed to be a Christian. And, and it turned out, you know, everything went fine for the most part other than me just being scared the whole time. And And when I think back to that... Yeah, that was a crazy thing to do in some respects and it was a risky thing to do but for me personally, looking back to that, that's kind of a picture of what this kind of hospitality looks like where you have no idea who that person is but out of a motivation that says, I've been given an incredible gift that I don't deserve from Christ. You look to other people and you say, I want to give you something that you don't deserve, that I, that, that I would not normally do out of, mo- out of a motivation to, to be loving towards you. That's the kind of idea. And it's interesting that we think that the gospel calls us to take risks outside of our home, but not like with with everything that we have, everything that we are, like including coming into your personal secure space, what you think is your personal secure space. It's like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to do all that out here. It's safe for me, relatively safe for me to go downtown into CRC because because it's not my house. So like worst case scenario, I could just run back to the base and, and be safe there. But what if you're called to like, what if you come down here and there's a guy who, who needs help, are you going to be willing to offer up your personal space? It's a risk, and I'm not going to say that it's not, but so is being a missionary to people that are hostile to the gospel, and so is having a conversation with somebody that you know hates the, the Bible and the concept of the, of the Bible, um, all of those things involve risk, so why should hospitality somehow be exempt from that? It's difficult to say that. It's difficult for me to say that, because that means you've got to, you've got to become vulnerable. But I don't think, let's say, worst case scenario, you die sharing the gospel, Because this is the gospel in you working, saying, I'm going to show Christ's love to this person. Worst case scenario, you die. Maybe this person was a murderer, and they kill you. But can you really look back and say, man, I I so regret doing that. I so regret dying for the sake of the gospel. I don't think that that's going to happen. And I don't think that that's going to be God's attitude if you were to talk to him right afterwards. Screwed up on that one what were you thinking? I don't think that that's going to be what happens. So that's difficult. And it's unnatural. But it's, it's what we've been called to do. And so we ought to take it seriously. And so when, when, when this inevitably happens later on in your life, and maybe Holy Spirit calls to memory these verses, fight the urge to say no, fight the urge to to stay comfortable. It's going to be hard. You need to pray about it. Be proactive. Say, God, work in my heart so that when this happens, because it is going to happen, so that when this happens, I know how to be hospitable. Whatever that looks like. All right. Uh, that, that entertained angels unawares. Uh, last week, we kind of briefly mentioned that. I feel like that probably references Abraham. Uh, when, when the Lord comes to him and he's a stranger and he doesn't know him, Abraham invites him in. And we talked kind of briefly about this last week, how that, that in itself is dangerous. Because it's not like Abraham is sitting up in this fortress, right? Where he's, he's surrounded by all these people. He can protect himself by inviting these men in. He's living in a tent, you know, and his family's there. His kids there. Uh, that, that was a vulnerable thing for him to do. And that concept, entertaining, is not like you're going to be like, all right, let's break out Yahtzee. It's like entertaining like you are, entertaining in the sense that you are hosting people. You are hosting guests. That's the idea. It's not like, I'm going to invite this person over, but I can't juggle, and I don't know jokes. No, don't, don't worry about that. Um, it's, it's just hosting is the idea. <laughs> So, moving on. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. That word remember there, I'm trying to, I was trying to figure out, what, what is the sense of that word? What is, re, like, remember, oh, I remember that happened. Like, is, that, is that all I'm supposed to do? Just think about this person every once in a while when I remember them? The word that's used here is similar to the word that's used um, when, when David says, who is man, that you are mindful of him. You, it's the idea that you, you have this kind of regard for other people. You, you think of them actively. For those who are in prison, and I think that this, this especially applies to the people who are in the body of Christ, Christians, people who are suffering. I feel like this this is telling us that we need to not forget about those people. I think that especially that, man, you, listening to the news is dangerous. <laughs> because if you, are, if you have a right perspective when you're watching the news, then you should not be able to hear about Christians who are suffering and be un, totally unmoved by that. You should not be able to hear about people in the body of Christ who are being mistreated and, and to be totally unmoved by that. And, because, and I talked about this a little bit last week. You know, For me, I think for guys in particular, that might, you know, that might be overgeneralizing, but I think that it's true. Often, we have the tendency to, to compartmentalize things and to say, okay, that's hurtful and and it's serious and it's worth me spending time thinking about that, but now I gotta go to work. So box that up, put it over here in the corner. I don't need to think about that anymore because I need to get on with my life and I need to do some things. And I feel like that's definitely the way that I can think. Like no matter, it's oftentimes no matter how serious it is, I can say, okay, that is a serious thing, but I'm gonna box it up, I'm gonna put it over here, deal with it later. Maybe later is years, maybe later is later that day. But that's the way that my mind kind of works. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna set this aside. And what this is saying is don't set this aside. And that's difficult. Again, that's that's opening yourself up to be a little vulnerable. Because maybe you're at work, maybe you do have to go to work. And and you are gonna have to focus on doing your job, but but you don't need to be able to just toss all that aside and say, whatever, moving on with what I've got going on. This ought to motivate us to, to get down on your knees and to pray for these people and, and to be motivated to, to do differently in some cases. Um, I mean, seriously, if you go listen to the news, you will not have to listen for long before you find opportunities to remember people. We, we've been talking recently about the Christians who are suffering in Iraq. We've been talking about, if you go looking and find information about Christians who are suffering all over the world. North Korea, Africa, all these different kinds of places where, where the suffering is real. And, and we have the temptation to read that as news. And man, I really hate the news to some extent. Their attitude. Because it's like they could tell you the worst thing in the world... And I say, now what's that weather look like? Oh my goodness, that kills me. Like that is the opposite of the idea that we're talking about here. When you, you can't just move on and say, that happens. Wonder if it's going to be sunny outside today. Like, oh my goodness. That, that is the exact opposite. You don't just move on. You sit for a second and let that be uncomfortable and, and let it motivate you to, to get down and pray because you, maybe you can't do anything else. In some cases, we can do more. Um, recently, again, talking about the news, things that have been happening recently um, are all the racial issues that have been popping up in the news within the last couple of weeks where the, these black men have been killed. And I don't know the status of whether or not they were in the body of Christ or not. Uh, I know that in both cases they, they were making bad choices. Uh, I think that that's fact. We know about that. But there has been this kind of outcry. And if you've been paying attention, particularly on Christian blogs, if you've been on Twitter, if you follow a lot of other Christian leaders on Twitter, there has been this outcry from the church that has said, African Americans are being mistreated in this country. And it's not something that's being made up. It's not manufactured. It is true. And justice is not happening the way it needs to happen. And that's closer to home, right? Okay? Because that's not this Christian over in Iraq that maybe you can't do anything about. That's not somebody in a different country. That's somebody, that's, that's our church. That is this church. Okay? That is this room. I feel like we ought to be able to be broken by this and to be able to, to be changed if we if we need to be. We need to show love to people who are mistreated. That's what we're talking about. Remember them. We need to be countercultural because it's been said. It's been noted, it's just observed, that it is fact that there is a problem with the culture. Well, the only answer for that culture, that cultural problem, is Christ. Because Christ makes us one. We are family in the body of Christ. The church is a family of blood relatives. But not in the same sense of like, your dad's, or your mom's, like your physical family, but Christ's blood. He is the head of this common ancestry, this giant family, which is made up of people from everywhere, in every kind of life, from every tribe, tongue, nation, Everybody's going to be in heaven. Revelation 5, 9, 7, 9. Both of those verses talk about how in heaven, there is going to be a multitude gathered before Christ, and they're going to be from everywhere, united by one thing, Christ. And, and we ought to have that kind of perspective now. This, this artificial division that's being created in culture is, is just that. It's fake. It's something that people use to, to hurt one another. People need an excuse to say how much better they are or, or just how different they are and how unique they are and they want to use that as an excuse to hurt people. Christians ought to have the kind of attitude that says that diversity is beautiful because God made all these things different. It's like this it's like a painting. It's like a tapestry. Some sort of creative work of art where you've got all these different elements blending in. And, and as Christians, we ought to look at that and say that, that is beautiful. And, and every life is worth the same as any other life. We're made in the image of Christ. And so we can do something about this. Uh, there... There have been some guys that I've been listening to. Russell Moore, uh, leader of the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission, I think, uh, within the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, He had a little podcast where he's just talking about, you know... Yeah, Christians ought to have this attitude where we are one in the body of Christ and there is no division in the body of Christ because Galatians talks about how, you know, it doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, slave, free, man, woman, whatever. We are all brought together in Christ. That ought to be our attitude. He said, he, he called out the church a little bit and said, listen, we have black churches and we have white churches and they, they maintain those identities. And in some senses, maybe that's just demographic, like, that's all we have around here. So how are you going to hold us accountable for this? Um, but in some sense, that, that is this artificial kind of construction that, that, has been, that has lifted up some sort of worldly difference as opposed to the gospel being preeminent and first and over all these things able to unite us despite all of our differences. I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus when I say that, but it's, it, it is interesting to think about that idea. Why should the church be divided like that? There's a church right down the road. And we see this kind of division, and it's, it's strange. And I feel like, at the very least, in times like these, we have the ability, we have the ability to reach out and to say, I know that there is hurting going on and I can't, I can't say I understand it and I can't say that I can fix it, like on the big scale, but what I can say is, I just want, you, you are my brother in Christ. We are family members in Christ and, and I love you and... And what, what the world sees as a dividing issue, I see as, as artificial, as non existent, because Christ brings all of us together. And and what what's unique about you I see as as beautiful, not a cause for division, not a cause for hatred it 's kind of crazy that our culture is still struggling through this. I mean, this has been a long time, but we we can have different attitudes, and it 's not just going to be this kind of you know the world the world is is fighting this, and they, they do bring the perspective of you know this is not something that we need to be fighting over. A lot of people in the world are going to say that, but the, the word that we have in this issue is, is infinitely more valuable than any kind of optimism that other people have without, apart from the gospel. This is a gospel issue. And, and we can speak the words of the gospel in, in this situation. And we can maintain that kind of perspective in our hearts. And we can, we can change the culture in here. And, and don't allow this to be a dividing issue. No matter who it is, you know, we're talking about race issues inside of, inside of this culture, but there are, there are plenty of things that divide. And, and that doesn't have to be us. It should not be us. Okay? We need to be different. We need to be different. And when somebody says, look, we're being mistreated, you don't box that up. Set it aside and say, we'll deal with that later. Here it is. We're going to deal with it right now. We could end there. But let's go ahead and do more. We'll come back around. Um, Okay, so next thing, verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Is this a cultural issue? Yeah. Um, And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So yeah, another big cultural issue. Uh, it, divorce came first. Divorce came first. Uh, in man, I'm not old enough, and I don't have a big enough brain to remember all the details. But it seemed like this was a grow. It's it's never been. Invisible. It's never been totally gone. Again, this is being written two thousand years ago, so this has always been an issue. But in our culture, in particular, this this has been a growing issue since the '60s or so. Probably even before that, because something had to motivate that, right? So you can always go back. Sin. It's a sin issue, and so it's always been around. But this is particularly acute here in this culture. Um, that there really is no regard for marriage anymore. I mean, it's the the butt of a joke now. That's that's the idea. If if we're talking about marriage, it's about how awful it is, and about how much of a joke it is, and how much it isn't a real thing. People don't do this anymore. You know divorce rates are going down, but it's not because... It's not not a good thing. It's because... Marriage is going down. Like, people aren't getting married, so you don't have to get divorced if you don't get married. And that's the way it is, not just in our culture, but a lot of cultures. This is telling us, let marriage be held in honor among all. So our attitude is not that way. It's not flippant about the concept of of divorce. Jesus' attitude, you can go and read Matthew 19. Jesus' attitude towards divorce is serious. He essentially says that from the beginning... It was never meant to be this way. Yeah, Moses said that you could divorce under certain circumstances, but that's not the way that it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be so that one man, one woman, for the entirety of their lives until they die. That was the plan. But because of the sin that's been in your life, there have been all these rules that have been set up around this concept of of these relationships breaking. But our attitude... Ought to be different. Because why? Why why should our attitude be different? This, this is its own you know, sermon if it wants, you know, all of these things are their own sermon if we want them to be. But marriage is something that God made, and that's our attitude towards it. It's not something that we just came up with. We can take it, we can leave it, whatever. It's something that God made from the beginning. From the very beginning. It was a standard in creation. Like he instituted it he brought two people together and said, this is the way it's going to be. One man, one woman. And when he says that, when he says a man shall leave his parents and be united with his wife, that's a template. Creation is a template. But Paul, when he goes back and he looks at creation and interprets it, he says every, every positive action by God was a statement about how it's supposed to be. And he says that about men and wo- the way men and women relate to one another. And that's countercultural. But we look at back to the way marriage was established. And the way that it was established means that it was intentional. God designed for one man and one woman to be brought together into marriage with one another, united as one for the rest of their lives. And that... That's the Christian view of marriage. And to say otherwise, you do have to pretty much ignore a lot of what the Bible says. A lot of people will try to bring the Bible into this argument and say, no, 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 no. Listen, look, I can, we can work this out. But you don't get this perspective from the Bible. You get this perspective from the culture trying to change the Bible. And if you have Paul's perspective who looks back to the New Test- or the Old Testament and says, no, l- no, no, listen, the way that, that God made this was intentional. It has purpose. And everything outside of this intention is, is not what God wants. It's not part of God's design. That's Paul's perspective. So are you going to fight against Paul's perspective? Or are you going to fight against the Word of God? That does not need to be our perspective. We've had, um, I think... We discussed this quite a bit, I think in January. Um, if this is an issue that you feel like you struggle with then then let's come and let's talk about this okay again, going back to unity, we're unified in Christ this is not this is not something that that is a source of hatred it's it's something that is just a gospel issue. It's a Bible issue. We want to treat it seriously, and we want to deal with it. So our attitude towards marriage needs to be that we, we honor the concept. Again, another reason. God made it, but also, what is it a picture of? Christ in the church. The gospel, right? So it's not, it's not just like a standard kind of, for the culture at large, <clears throat> it's also a gospel issue in that it's supposed to be a picture of Christ in the church. So if you're tearing it down, if you're making jokes about it, if you don't care about it, um, then, then do you care about Christ in the church? If, if it's a picture of Christ in the church, then that really says that you don't care about what, it, what it's meant to point to. So this is a, this is a serious thing. And divorce is a regrettable thing. It happens. God can, can do good things out of evil, but it's a regrettable thing. We should not have this kind of cavalier attitude towards it. And personally, it also says, let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. You don't have to be married for this to apply to you. And for, for a lot of us, this, this speaks to us. And it says that lust issue... It's not something that you can just continue in because sexual desires are related to marriage. They're made for marriage. If you're distorting that, you're not holding marriage in honor. And so this is a behavior worthy of judgment. So this speaks to us and this says, don't let that be your attitude towards marriage. And lastly, verse five, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? God gave us everything that we need in the person of Christ. We can now say that no matter what happens in this world, God has taken care of us. We have an eternal promise that lives and extends beyond anything that's happening here. And and we can bank on that. We can put our hope in that. And... And we can be content in that. But there is good news even here within the world. God says, if, don't he, or Christ says, and let me see if I wrote down the reference. Matthew 6. This will be familiar for several people. If I can get to it. Matthew 6, uh, I wrote down the wrong chapter, oh well, it exists, where, where Christ is talking about not being anxious for tomorrow, and he's saying, don't, don't worry about clothes, don't worry about food, don't worry about meeting your basic needs, because God is going to meet your basic needs He cares for his creation. Look around. Nobody's out here taking care of birds. Nobody's out here. It is six. Maybe I just wrote down the wrong verse. Twenty-five. Somehow I mismatched my verses and my chapters. Twenty-five. I wrote down thirty-five, and there is no thirty-five, so I just immediately said, must be the wrong chapter. (laughs) So he says, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither, soar, uh, they, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value or are you not of more value than they? So there's, there's this concept of, of not being worried about Stuff. I'm not going to be worried about getting stuff, taking care of myself, making sure that that retirement account is right where it needs to be. But instead, being content with having enough, just enough to get by, like the Israelites moving through the wilderness every day. They were given enough, and and they weren't supposed to get more. Just enough. To let them learn that God's going to take care of them. And they don't have to stress out about it. They don't have to freak out thinking, what am I going to do? But moving day to day saying, okay, God's going to give me just enough. And I know that he will because he's promised it. So you're content in that. And also there's this, there's this comforting aspect of this, right? At the end of 5 and 6 where he's saying, I'm, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's... um. That's quoted from Joshua 1, 5. It's particularly interesting that that's it, right? They've just gone and done these amazing things through Moses. Or God has done amazing things through Moses. They've been pulled out of Egypt. They're now their own nation. They're moving into this new land. Moses is dying. And they're thinking, the leader is gone. What happens now? Because there's so many... So many worldly examples of when, when the visionary leader goes, the whole thing goes with it over time. That's kind of the concept. So they're thinking, okay, Moses, the guy who led us through this, the guy who God worked through to do amazing things, things that just don't happen, he's dying. And they're starting to worry. Okay, well, Joshua, you're telling me you're going to be in charge now? Not sure that I trust you to do everything that God did through Moses. It's pretty big shoes to fill. But Joshua takes the emphasis off of him. He says, listen, it's not not me. It's, It's God who's leading you. And so he's saying, yeah, Moses is dying. But you weren't supposed to look to Moses. You're supposed to look to God. And God says, I will never leave you, nor Forsake you. So, there are a lot of things in our life that we look to: our job, our finances, our relatives that we inherited a bunch of money from. In some cases, maybe not here, but I, I know people. Uh, we're we're looking towards things that are here to try to provide for us. Maybe leaders. You're letting somebody else kind of guide the way and you're submitting to them and you should be, but maybe you put too much stock in them. Because really it's not, it's not them who's taking care of you, it's God. And so we can, it says, confidently say. You don't just say it. You have confidence that the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So you're content in what God has provided for you and you're content in and his provision. Don't be like the Israelites who got to the point where they said, we loathe this food. It's unthinkable. But a lot of times that's our attitude. Be content with whatever it is that God has given and glorify God wherever it is that you are. Okay. A lot of different different practical points of application here. A lot of things to put into our lives, and and this is this is difficult to just kind of go through these one at a time. Usually, you would have like one of these ideas a week, but this is a lot to deal with. But remember why we think about these. Why we're being commanded to do these things. Verse twenty-eight. We're grateful in chapter twelve. We're grateful for receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken, and so we offer up acceptable sacrifices. These are acceptable sacrifices. It's not everything that that worship is. It's not everything that a sacrifice is, but it is part of it. And we're called to do it as a church. So, as you think on the gospel, you ought to be changed to have these kinds of attitudes. If you do not have these kinds of attitudes, then, first of all, question, is the Spirit working in, me, in my life to produce these kinds of attitudes? If not, pray for it. Pray that the Holy Spirit would give you these kinds of attitudes. And, and learn to be content in Christ. Again, He provides everything that we need in Christ. So, as we sing, sing joyfully. And, and as you Think, you know This time of year, thinking about Christ coming, dying for us. Be content in that. Learn to rejoice in that and to be changed by that to have this kind of attitude, to have the Spirit working in your life. Okay? Let's pray.